of you well you're welcome for my welcome <laughs> <laughs> thank you welcome to yourself this is uh, i guess the laid back fasting edition yeah weekday worship it's the, it's the chill chill vibing maybe we should change worship. Our, our intro music to a little like jazz you for know, this week jazz. yeah <laughs> yeah something a little yeah. less pop yeah <laughs> a little easy jazz music mm. that'd be good i'll have to uh well is that my is that me or is that Scotty, like who do we who well, do we go to music? It's kind of set in stone, so I think it's nobody's right. at this point. <laughs> we'll stick with the funky music. <laughs> no, add more tasks than you should. Yeah, I think that's Occam Fraser or something. <laughs> How are we doing? Pretty good. Middle of the week. Yes, a special week. Hump here day, at, uh, as at, they uh, say. Yeah, hump day. Do do. I wonder how how pastors would think of hump day because you'd have to ask one. Weird. I don't know. Like, what is the hump day for a pastor? I guess Thursday. I don't know. <laughs> Thursday. Thursday's your hump day. Uh, <laughs> it's a weird thing because it's a you I know, know it's not like a Monday through Friday and then Wednesday's in the middle of your work week because you've got this weird Sunday. Sunday's like the, in some sense, you know, like the biggest day of the work week. Yeah, in some sense. In some sense. So I guess it just depends. I can tell you, you like. Sundays are energizing to me on Sunday, and then mm-hmm. on Monday there's a bit of a recovery, like yeah. uh, there's a, a bit of a hangover mm-hmm. from a lot of Sundays, because a lot of Sundays it's not just that we have church, it's that I'm up pretty early usually on Sundays, sometimes we have Sunday conversations, oftentimes uh-huh. we have things after church, so yeah. there's lots of full things on Sundays. and So during the day it's energizing. I would say there are more, oftentimes, there are more days during the week, there are days during the week that are more draining than Sundays are mm-hmm. in certain ways. So we have no clue what your hump I have is. no idea, no. All right, well, when you figure it out, you let's let just, us know. I'll just, I'll share it with the rest of you. I'm going to put a Wednesday. poll. I should put a poll, a poll on the internet of pastors. What's their hump day? Where, what, what portion of the internet <laughs> are you going to put this? You can do, said you, you can do, you can do polls on poll Twitter. On. Are you posting on Twitter now? No, but I could. I'm kind of incognito. Well, on you Twitter. could. Do you have a following? No, <laughs> not at all. Because if you have Zero. no following, I, then I've never people will not answer. I, I literally just have an account so I can look at other people's. You're accounts. a Twitter stalker. I'm not. A, I'm not stalking. I mean, I mean, you kind of following. Are. They don't people. know that you're following them, and they, they are not able to I'm follow you. Them. And they could follow me, but they it would be counterintuitive to follow. Who's me because the best I never tweeter? The best tweeter? Like in terms of you, not not Varsity Blues wide receiver, but. <laughs> Uh, only a few people will get that Who reference. I, whose tweets do I enjoy the most? Is That's what, what I mean. Asking? Yes. Oh my gosh. That seemed obvious from the way I phrased a nerdy the question. question. Well, <laughs> posed to some might say a nerdy guy. Yeah. Gosh, that I I have to like I'm really trying to weigh that in my mind. Right, well, okay. Ser- so this is like when somebody question. asks you that's for like your favorite question. movie. It's like, well, what genre? What like it depends on my mood. Yeah. So give me three to five of your favorite. Uh, Scott Swain. President of RTS Orlando. Okay. He's like one of the best systematic theologians in the world, and he's super funny. So okay. the combination of those two things for a, a, a nerd seminarian like is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So love Scott Swain's Twitter. Um, 
really love a guy at a philosopher at Calvin University named James K.A. Smith. I love his Twitter. He's always posting really good poetry, and I like poetry, if you didn't know that. Um, And so I really always... This is actually why we're preaching through the Song of Songs. Because I love poetry. Because you love poetry. Wow. This is a nod to Caleb. That's special. Yeah. That's very special. I heard you particularly love ancient Near East poetry. Uh, yeah, yeah. With its symbolic imagery of I can't read human it. anatomy and so I forth. I can't read it. <laughs> Trying to read Hebrew poetry is like, it's like learning Shakespeare English. So like, like so like for real. I'm trying like, to adapt to that a- like iambic the pentameter. Learning, the Hebrew, the Hebrew that I'm learning right now will, will is like, will not even get me close to being able to read Hebrew Hebrew poetry. It's like mm-hmm. a whole different thing to try to yeah. to try to get into. It's a hmm. it's a mess. But I've been trying out. Uh, as I'm doing prep on the Song of Solomon series, um, the last several weeks, I've been uh, trying out some of the uh, the compliments that the songwriter offers to. You've been hitting your woman. wife with these one-liners. I, I have been, yes. So <laughs> I've tried. So like, uh, this is a little like maybe they'll like maybe as we walk through the series, guys should try it more and maybe wait till then. But like, uh-huh. so there's. Um, I think a couple different times he he talks about how he loves her, um, uh, her, her that her hair is like a flock of goats. I've tried that one. Like I, I'll, I'll give Betsy <laughs> a hug like a and then like whisper goats. to her like your hair is like a flock of goats, <laughs> and um, it's it's promptly ended the hug. <laughs> and uh, I think another one is like uh, your uh, your teeth are like doves. Pairs of doves, so like I, I think it's referring to the <laughs> the evenness of them as oh you go gosh. out, like the front two and the next two, oh and out. Gosh. Yeah, that there's these twins because uh, that's kind of a, a pair of turtle doves. I think it refers yeah. to. Yeah, somebody anyway, should print a, something you could try. Somebody should print a face mask with uh, like lips and teeth on it, but the teeth are doves. Are doves? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and put the reference, the song of songs, and then a wig that is a flock of goats. <laughs> Is that, I don't know what that would look like. I don't either. I have no clue what it, I, don't I wonder what he was thinking of in his so, head. When this he, is some of what you get to look forward to in the coming yes. eight or nine weeks. So. Yes. Goats, doves, <laughs> and Christ. This all came out of your second favorite your, your, your second favorite Twitter to follow, and that was James K.A. Smith, who tweets poetry that you he, like. He always puts out a lot of poetry he's reading, and it's yep. a good find. Last one. Yeah. Another yeah. poet. This guy's an actual poet. His name's Malcolm Geit, my favorite poet. Not to ever. be confused with Malcolm Gladwell. No relation. No, no, no relation. Look him up. They look. No, very no, no relation, Sam Hammett. Malcolm Geit is an Anglican priest slash poet, and he he literally looks straight out of straight out of Lord of the Rings. Like, look this guy up, Malcolm <laughs> Geit. Okay, G, slash G U I T slash Boromir. <laughs> no, he's a little older than Boromir. He's more in like he's like he looks like an old Hobbit, and he's always smoking a big old like one of those Gandalf. One of those pipes. long yeah, like I foot, mean, he's the, just the foot long. He pipe. looks like he was literally C.S. Lewis's cousin. I mean, yeah. he's just one of those guys. But he's my favorite poet in the world, and he, and I love his Twitter because. Do, do you have any of his poetry offhand? Like, can you can you hit me with any like a poem of his? Like a Ooh. does he have like a haiku you've you, memorized? I'll tell you my favorite poet. I mean, my favorite <laughs> poem. You didn't, by you didn't him. even get my question. You don't even appreciate it. You're probably taking jabs. I, I said, does he have any haikus that you've memorized? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Can you tell Go us ahead. what a haiku is, Go James? Ahead. I'm so amused with myself. Isn't it a poem that's like, uh, it's a five-syllable, seven-syllable, five-syllable, right? Isn't that how it goes? It's something like that. I, I think. think it's a three-line, five-seven-five. Yeah. All right, so James is going to come up with a haiku from <laughs> Song of Solomon this week. Look for the blog. Uh, okay, well, so uh, you favorite, say. Favorite, 
poem by Malcolm Guyte is called O Sepatia. O Sepatia. Yes. Can you with an A at the end? Can you? No, I'm not going to try to. Can recite you do it. a dramatic reading next week of O Sepatia? You know what? I could do that. Yeah. That would be fun. Oh, this would, would be like great. Yeah, would really I've been good. dying to get a dramatic something from you. This is my first time. I'm so excited. I yeah. can't wait for weekday Speaking worship next week. Speaking of dramatic readings, you know who, I think this is right, you know who's doing the new ESV uh, uh, audio Bible? Uh, like reading it? Yeah. Mm, hold on, wait. Like, do you want me to actually guess? Sure. Is it one person? Yes. Um, I don't know. I think uh, maybe would this be like a Would this be like an evangelical celeb or is yeah. this like an, okay. Um, David Platt. No. Oh my gosh, that'd be awful. <laughs> that'd be terrible. Love you, David, but no. <laughs> it's your boy uh, Ray Orland. Oh really? Yeah, he's doing the reading. Of I the actually ESV. don't know that I would like that. Oh my gosh, you're digging. No, on I that. love Ray Orland. That's like I, I love guy, Ray Orland. I'm just thinking that's a lot of like. Um, he's got sort of such a soft voice and gentle voice. It's that's interesting. He's he's an editor of part of it, isn't he? Of the ESV Bible. Well, I, I think he's edited he a few did, of the he books. Did, he did the study notes in the ESV study Bible That's on Isaiah. Mean. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Osepatio. So, uh, uh, with an A at the end. Sepatia by Malcolm Guyte. I'm, writing, I'm making a note so that next week we don't forget this. Okay. If anyone on this podcast was, list, I mean, was a part of our Doctrine of Scripture class, which was like... A year over a year ago, last January, yeah, I put it in the appendix of your packet. <laughs> wow! So nobody has that still. Wow! But it's there somewhere. For it you. is there. Isn't the notes there? are somewhere on the interweb. Yeah, maybe we can post those notes yeah. next to the uh, poll. You could that you were going to post. What was the poll you were going to post? Uh, hump day for pastors. Hump day for pastors. <laughs> yeah. These don't belong. They, these do not belong alongside one another. Probably not. All right, we've rambled enough. We're we're off in the weeds somewhere. Uh, If I appear disengaged at any point during the the ensuing conversation, Mm -hmm. it will be because I am trying to piece together in real time a haiku that I could share with you by the end of the episode. Maybe I come up with one, maybe I don't. First, I think you should take the time to Google the real rules of a haiku. (laughs) I think I know them. Didn't I? I mean... You can't just say... it, it. uh, it could be five, seven, and five. It could be three, five. Right, let, me, let me be more confident. A haiku is 100% five, seven, five in uh, its structure. Well, we'll look it up afterwards. Would, you rather, then, me, would you rather me write no, a sonnet? here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read, me to do I'm gonna more read Malcolm Guyton next week, but you're going to read your haiku for everyone. Okay, so I don't have to write it during the episode. I make no. up a haiku yes. next week. You read Malcolm Guyton. I read the haiku. Yes. And then we decide who's better. I love this. Mm-hmm. This is maybe the best thing we've ever done on the <laughs> on the show, or it's where people skip thirty seconds. Hey, can like I send a shout out to your sister before we get going? Sure, I don't know what because she listens some, right? Yeah, I think my sister's listening. Al- Alyssa listens, right? Both of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So, well, and Brianna, Brianna will have her turn, but I wanted <laughs> to give a shout out to Alyssa because uh-huh. she's getting married this weekend. She is. My right? sister's getting married. There's a, there's a Hawkins wedding coming yes. up to a rival, Caleb. Yes, her husband will be. Caleb, what's her last name going to be? Wilson. Caleb Wilson. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Hawkins family, yes. almost. And I'll be reading Malcolm Guy selection at the wedding. <laughs> Will you really? <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe a Song of Solomon selection. <laughs> oh, funny. Oh, funny. Your lips drip honey, nectar 
I think that's a line. Well, if that's how you're going to read that haiku. (laughs) (laughs) I can't help but, like, want to go – if I read poetry, like, I would want to automatically uh, go straight into uh, Will Ferrell, Anchorman, Ron Burgundy kind of voice. Like, it's just like, that's where it takes me. (laughs) I always think of, uh, like – Adam Sandler's voice doing fun, like you know when he reads like a letter or something in his movies. <laughs> well, he's, he like, a, in he's that, like a greeting card voice. writer in <laughs> yeah. uh, Mister Deeds. Yeah. So like the whole thing, he's like reading different cards he wrote through it. Yeah. Oh man. All right. So anyway, think, what are we talking about? Your, think of your best poetry in Adam Sandler's voice. That's the bottom line here. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Today, uh, Junior. We tried to end our banter like five minutes ago. <laughs> it's over. It's done. What are we looking at today? We're looking James? at, I'm told, Isaiah 58. Yeah, I texted James yesterday. Wanted to look at um, Isaiah chapter 58. I love Isaiah 58. Oh, it's an, it's an unreal passage. I love it. So I was super excited mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. we get to talk through it. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah, and uh, the, the, the heading of the ESV Bible kind of gives you up front what it's about. It says uh, true and false fasting, uh, which is... Oh, that's unusually relevant to what we're going through this week, <laughs> So they Caleb. got it right. We don't have to second-guess the scholars here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's particularly important as we are in a corporate fast as a church yep. where we uh, have asked um, everyone to kind of uh, buy in through a food element and a abstaining from media element and however you chose to yeah. go about that. And uh, we set that up really um, wanting to, to draw close to the Lord vertically and uh, kind of renew uh, a longing for the Lord, a sweet joy and reliance on the Lord as we abstain from these things in order to, to kind of unclog us mm-hmm. um, from the world and uh, find rest and joy and peace and power through uh, the Lord and His presence. And yeah, I'll just say on the front end, man, I hope we're day three here mm-hmm. if you're participating in this. And, man, it's such a – I'm so grateful that people are willing to kind of go with us into this. And um, and I'm so grateful for the nights of prayer that we have, the people hosting and leading those. And, um, and uh, man, I just hope this – I hope this episode will encourage you midweek. We, you know, at first – I, I'm I'm putting you know a short blog out each day, just kind of reflecting on the scriptures that are that, that we've tied to each day, and um, and you know when you start something like this, it's kind of new and exciting and fun, and then day three is about where it starts to feel probably like a drag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, man, I hope this can be an encouragement in the Lord to to keep going. That um, that that you know we're all in this together and we're all kind of experiencing yeah. something of that and we'll have some ebbs and flows to encourage one another in the lord yeah Particip- like the prayer night monday night already was really helpful to me yeah. like in renewing yeah. me. I know you and i was at you the one to... last night and, and it was wonderful yeah. and we had a, a sweet time with the so lord it's a nice way to break and... your evening up where you're not just sitting yeah. there not watching tv or a show thinking what do i do now and yeah. um so tonight on wednesday prayer night at the hammets the hammets yeah um tomorrow thursday at the mcculley's friday um at the Nicoletti's. Yes. Saturday here at the church again. So uh, Look come join us. Memorizing that sketch. You know, I'm, I'm a tight ship up here. Yeah. You know that <laughs> schedule. Uh-huh. All right. But, but I would assume that most people have really, have rightly, have been in this, in this focus and even in this battle of, of fasting and seeking the Lord have really, it's really been focused, I would assume, on kind of a, us and God vertically, trying to 
you know, do the right things and uh, and lean into the Lord and abstain from from whatever we've committed to abstaining from. And our focus has really been kind of our our struggle with the Lord in uh, in in the fast, right? Mm-hmm. I think what we want to look at today is is trying to broaden out both what our vision of fasting is and who it actually is we're, we're, uh, we're doing this towards in some way. Um, with that such a focus on the vertical, which is good and has to be there and is, and is right, sometimes we can lose sight of really the, uh, the broader vision of fasting and what it's supposed to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Isaiah 58, I can't think of a clearer scripture in the Bible on fasting and what this should produce or what true fasting should look like, not just in relationship vertically to God, but in horizontally to other people. Yeah, and simultaneously um, speaking to, maybe warning about, and, and, and the entrapment of fasting as a religious practice only or as mm-hmm. a way of checking a box or... Um, as a way of um, trying to demonstrate external righteousness or whatever, right? Because it, it is the true fasting vision we get, but there's also this criticism of um, a false fasting. Yeah. Right? So we yeah. can fast in the way that we're trying to approach it even this mm-hmm. week and have it actually, I think part of what Isaiah 58 is going to tell us is yeah. we could actually fast and have it be detrimental to our relationship with yes. God. Yes. Which is like... Well, if I'm going to do this, mm-hmm. <laughs> I sure want it to be yeah. Uh, yeah. beneficial. Yeah. yeah. And this is a theme that runs throughout the scriptures in a lot of spiritual disciplines. Sure. And uh, some of the, the in prayer, mm-hmm. in, in the Old Testament setting, the Old Covenant, the sacrifices. Like there's different ways in which God really, he pushes into this heart principle in a lot of our external uh, disciplines, if that makes sense. Yeah, and yeah. Isaiah 58 just beautifully does this in fasting. So James, how about you just read us the first 13 verses so everybody can just The first 13? It? Yeah. Isn't it only 13? How many is it? Oh, 14? <laughs> you want me to read all but the last verse? I would like you to read, well, through 12. Okay. I think that's what I was thinking. All 1 right. through 12. Just, Here we go. Just hear this. I know a lot of you are listening. <clears throat> just Try to. I know it's hard to listen to this over a podcast. If you're sitting down, maybe get your Bible and, and uh, look through this. But I know everybody's not uh, sitting down with a Bible. If some of you are walking or driving or, or those sorts of things, so. But just hear the passage in full, and then we'll try to break it down. All right. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, 
to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke of your, from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and the spreading of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the, the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Okay, so big passage. Big Obviously, passage. Obviously, you know, you're not going to break all that down in your own head just from listening to it like that. And in the first couple of verses, it's hard to, unless we point it out, see the dialogue that's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? There's, there's some uh, quotation marks and yes. stuff. So God is yes. interacting with his people here. Yeah. So God starts off by telling Isaiah to, uh, to not hold back from telling the people, the people of God, their transgressions, their sins. Right? That's verse one. Yep. And he, and yet, uh, these people say they seek uh, God daily and that they delight to know his ways as if, God says, they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake judgment, the judgment of their God. And God says, they, the people, ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Okay. Break that down maybe a little bit. Okay. I mean, it, what, what seems to be happening is God is acknowledging that they are consistent and steadfast in certain spiritual disciplines or religious mm-hmm. practices. They're drawing seem, near. Such as prayer, worship, right? They're Particularly coming. fasting. Yeah. So, they're, so you have these expressions of dependency upon God, these, these uh, honoring of the ways of God that he's called them to. Um, as expressions of worship and dependency and so forth. Yeah. So, so he's acknowledging full on, like God is saying, no, they're doing these things. Yeah, these these things are not the issue, right? right? The, the 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 kind of vertical disciplines here are not the issue. But yet he starts off by saying they're in sin, right? And then he names all those all those things that that seem like good vertical disciplines. Well, and that the the sort of interpretive key of verse one and two is you sort of emphasized it when you read it as if. As if, yes, they, very important. They are, so he's acknowledging the outward practices, but that phrase, he says, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. Mm-hmm. So what he's really saying is they're doing these things externally while having forsaken the judgments of our yes. God. While, yes. while not, uh, they're, doing the re- they're fulfilling religious obligations. Mm-hmm. And they are not allowing that to actually permeate into the yeah. totality of their lives. Yeah, well, well he, he hasn't really gotten to that yet, right? So, so, so they, sure. he's just setting up, hey, you're doing all these things, this vertical thing that you're doing, I'm not having any issues here, but you are in sin, mm-hmm. right? So he, he kind of, that's a confusing thing for the people to try to, right. to, try to think through. Right? And, it, and it's not, it's super common. 
super common. Right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. we, I struggle with this. You struggle with this. We yeah. all struggle with this. The yeah. compartmentalization of our spiritual lives yes. um, segmented off from or distinguished from the other dimensions yeah. of our life. Yes. As if it yes. doesn't permeate the yes. entirety of our lives. Yes. And so the people, they respond back. Isaiah kind of is telling us what they say or would say, and he says in verse 3. This, this is, is the, sort of God reading their yeah. response. He's reading their him. thoughts, yeah. right? God is reading the people's thoughts. This is what the people say back to God after he brings this charge against them. Verse 3, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Okay, so that's kind of the people's response. They say, what are you talking about? We're, we've been fasting, we've been humbling ourselves, we've been, uh, we've been doing these things, and, and you're, you're acting not, like you don't see it. Yeah, you're not blessing us. You're not, you're, you're, your presence is being withheld from us. Like, why are we doing our part, God, but you're not doing your part? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anybody ever feel like that? Yes. Anybody ever feel like, man, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do, God. Why is life still so difficult? Why is it so hard? Why do I not sense your nearness? Why do I not see your, your favor? Why, why, yeah, like... And this, this sort of self-righteous posture of, God, look at all these righteous things I'm doing. Why are, you, why are you not holding up your end? Yes, yes. And here's what God says back to them. He says, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. <laughs> How discouraging is that? Very discouraging. Like, so deflating. We're fasting, we're praying, and God's saying, yeah, the way you're doing this, I'm not even hearing you. Yeah. I can't hear this type of fasting is what God says. <laughs> your, he, he, keeps the, he keeps putting these... Uh, these uh, I don't know. I guess they pronouns or adjectives. I don't know what they. I forget the, what the word. He keeps putting these. You're fasting. Mm-hmm. He says you the way you are doing it. Uh-huh. So he keeps he keeps he keeps delineating between there is a type of fasting that's right and there's yeah. your type of fasting. Yeah. Right. So he's distinguishing between those two. Yeah. And he and he starts uh, kind of drawing out some so, of the some so, of the qualities of that. Yeah. So there seems to be an uh, language that indicates like they're in conflict with one another. Yeah. There's no peace between them. Yeah. There's no relational harmony. Yeah. Um, there is uh, the taking advantage of people who are maybe economically disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. Um, right? He says, he talks about the oppressing of your workers. Yeah. So they might be bringing their sacrifices, fasting, worshiping, seeking the Lord, doing these exercises. But those who own businesses are treating their their employees with contempt yeah. and unfairly and and without humaneness yeah without dignity yeah i mean he when he when he says seek in this kind of fast that you're doing you seek your own pleasure there in verse three mm-hmm. he's saying your fast is is all about you mm-hmm. even though it's vertically you want goodness you're seeking the lord but you're seeking it only for you you're not seeking it for anybody else. Yeah. It's all about you. And then you and you get this kind of outworking of, and you oppress all your workers. So what we think maybe is going on there is there were people who kind of were, were the high, higher in society who maybe mm-hmm. owned the businesses or the fields or stuff, and they were taking days off to seek the Lord and fast, but they were not giving their workers mm-hmm. under them the opportunity to do the same thing. Yeah. 
it's like I'll have my time to vertically get with the word, but you got to work double because I'm not working today because mm-hmm. I'm in charge. So it's like this, it's this, like you said, disconnected. It's so your vertical connection to God is so disconnected from your connection to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love, I, I love, and I think this is important for us to recognize that the Lord connects our spiritual life directly, straight line to our vocation. Yes. So just in a general sort of way. So yes. we don't get to compartmentalize those things out. Yes. They're interconnected. And he says, uh, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. So I have a hard time. I had a hard time trying to figure out what, <laughs> yeah. what, what contextually he's talking about. But I'll tell you what comes to mind when I, when I read this, and I think maybe it's the spirit of this verse, is when we fast, in ter- because we see ourselves as uh, doing something special for God, mm-hmm. we kind of legitimize our crankiness towards other people. Mm. We, in our minds, you know, are, you know, we haven't eaten today, we've been fasting, we've been kind of abstaining from ourselves, so it makes us cranky with the kids or yeah. cranky with our wife or cranky with our husband or kind of irritable with people at work, and we justify it in our mind because we're doing something good for God and we're kind of in a struggle right now. Mm-hmm. And God says, that's, that's yeah, you can. Yeah, your hangriness is... Sinful and wicked. <laughs> yes, yes. Right. That if, if if fasting is producing irritableness towards other people, then, yeah, uh, then you've missed it. You, you've missed what fasting is supposed to produce. Right. That's good. I like okay. that. So verse four, he says, "Behold." Uh, well, let's jump to to. Uh, we're in the middle of verse four, where it says, "Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high." So he straight up says. This type of fasting you're doing, the, the, all you think that's going on vertically, mm-hmm. all that drawing near, all that humbling yourself, it's not getting to me. Yeah. It, it, I, there, there's a closed wall to heaven because of that, the, that horizontal uh, kind of coldness that you've created through fasting. Right. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty, it's pretty intense when God yeah. says, you're doing all this, but I, I'm not hearing it. It's mm-hmm. not making it. Your prayers are not making it to Yeah, like we, I, I mean, and it's right that we think this way. Like, it's amazing. God hears our prayers. Like, he's given us prayer so that we can communicate with him directly. What a gift, right? That's awesome. Yes. But, and, 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 and we need to believe that God hears our prayers. But what he is telling us here is he doesn't actually. Like, we think sometimes in a sort of um, uh, non-critical way and in, in sort of general um, terms that, God hears all of our prayers. Well, Isaiah 58, God's telling us himself. This is straight from his mouth. Mm-hmm. I don't hear all your prayers. Yeah. Not all of your prayers reach me. Mm-hmm. That's something to think about. It is. It is. I, I think that's a, that's a real warning from the Father that mm-hmm. should be heeded. Right? And so uh, then he goes on, verse 5, to start to turn towards identifying what kind of fast he's looking for. Right? But, and he does so in sort of a, a rhetorical way here in verse 5. He says, is such the fast that I choose? And here he gives, he, this is kind of confusing, but he kind of gives you the opposite of what he's talking about. He says in verse 5, is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this fast and day acceptable to the Lord. So he said, he, what, what he's, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Go I was just going to, he's saying, that's not what I'm looking for. Yeah. Right. I mean, isn't that how you read it? He's no, absolutely. He's, yeah. He, he's actually criticizing an isolationist, individualized, um, 
pietistic sort of approach yes. to fasting. Yes. And he's saying, that is not what I've called you into. That is not what this expression of worship or, or devotion is for. That's yeah. not what this practice is for. Yes. Yes. I think he's saying these sort of external Why do you think postures are, if that's all they are, if this is all you're doing, this is not the fast that I'm choosing I, for you. It, like, okay, so I'll be honest. Like, uh-huh. that surprises me. Yeah. That's not, I wouldn't intuit that. Mm-hmm. I would think from, you know, cursory reading of scriptures and my familiarity with things, I would think, no, I mean, like, God wants us to, in an individualized way, like, get on our knees and pray and repent and mm-hmm. confess and turn mm-hmm. our hearts to him and enter into worship. And, and to do so in a privatized kind of way would be an honoring thing to the Lord. Like, yeah. I would think that'd be okay. And, and I don't think every aspect of that is inherently wrong. No, I don't absolutely. think that's what he's saying, right? Not at so, all. So why do you think it is that, that God is, I don't know, critical of this as their approach to fasting? Because I think it reveals external realities that are being substituted for what should be internal fruit from those mm-hmm. disciplines. So the verse that I immediately thought of when I, when I read this is 2 Timothy 3.5. Where, where uh, Paul says these people have the appearance of godliness, mm. but, but they deny, deny its, its power. power. Yeah, I think that's if, if I could put a gist into what verse five is really getting at there. I think it's that. I think God is saying that these spiritual disciplines are not a substitute for righteous living. Mm. Mm. I think I think that's the that's the truth that's coming out. Yeah, here. that's good. And I think a lot of us we think this way. We th- we think there's something super special about spiritual disciplines and even in a in a prolonged season of worship or fasting that's supposed to like be this kind of second level kind of top tier kind of connection with God when I think God is calling us those things actually serve the everyday of righteous living. Mm. So the the righteous living is actually the point of these disciplines. And so to to kind of subsume them or forget them, yeah, forget righteous living underneath these so, spiritual disciplines. So God we actually is, miss the point of them. Yeah, in a sense, God is trying to reorient us inwardly in order to reorient us outwardly. Yes. Okay. So this also makes me think of Jesus' own words about fasting. When in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how we're not to don't be like the hypocrites or the Pharisees. He says who when they fast, they they kind of uh, what does he say? Um, don't look gloomy in your mm-hmm. appearance, right? And when I look at that part about ashes um, in, in Isaiah 58 where he says uh, uh, to spread sackcloth and ashes under him, there's this sort of morose, woe is me maybe approach to, to maybe it's confession and repentance that they think they're entering into. But, but maybe God wants instead of um, uh, introspective gloominess, he's actually wanting something of joyful engagement. Yeah. Absolutely. That's okay. N- <laughs> that's not the way apart from Isaiah 58 telling me that, mm-hmm. I would never get there on my own and I would probably never think about a week like this that way. I have never intuitively thought about yeah, about this in terms of fasting and yeah. except so for that's that's really helpful. So <laughs> So uh, in, in verse 6, the, the first kind of line of, of verse 6, God, he's, he repeats kind of the same question from verse 5 where he says, is this not the fast that I choose? So here from now on, God is going to basically tell us, he's going to explain yeah. very clearly what it is that he defines as a true fast. Mm-hmm. That, of course, is, it comes through 
that, that vertical drawing near, yeah. that abstaining, that that. But God's going to expand our vision of fasting to, to something horizontal in this passage. So so from here on out in verse six, he kind of gives you what it, definitions of what he calls a true fast in this way. Yeah. So so how I kind of want to look through it is first I want to look through what what he prescribes for us. Okay. And then I want to look at the promises attached to that. Mm. Because we're not just following God as, because we're just supposed to follow the rules. We're following God because we, we trust him to bless and fulfill his promises through obedience. Yeah. And, and, and it, it, there's a way in which we can seek our own blessing in fasting that is wrong. Mm-hmm. But there's also a way in which we can seek our own blessing. I think, it, like yes. what we're saying, that's okay. Like, absolutely, I mean, we said on Sunday the the promise from Second Chronicles that when you seek me, you'll find me. Yes, and and we mentioned how God, when when James says that, draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. Yes. Or how uh, Hebrews told us that um, God is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek Him. So Amen. it's not wrong to trust and desire blessing from God, mm-hmm. but we want that blessing to be of the right character and quality. Yes. Amen. Okay. All right. So let's just look through uh, a few of these prescriptions God gives for what is a true fast. And I'm, and I'm kind of piecing these together. So here I'm combining a little bit of verse 6 and verse 9 um, where he says, a true fast that I choose is to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every, every yoke. That's verse 6. Okay. And then verse 9 he says, if you take away the yoke from your midst. So he 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 kind of hits on this idea of taking yokes or burdens off of people. Mm-hmm. So to me, when I, when I see that, I think, I think what, what Isaiah, uh, speaking for the Lord, is trying to get across um, is saying, man, our fasts should not be putting burdens on people around us, mm-hmm. should not be putting yokes on people, but, but a true fast actually takes those burdens and yokes off of people and maybe even puts them on our own backs mm-hmm. in order to, to free people up. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, this makes me think a lot about, um, again, another reference to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about um, anger and he he talks about how when you come to um, the altar to offer sacrifices to God and there realize that your brother has something against you, he says, leave your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled. Yeah. Right. So for God our outward acts of worship are uh, subordinated to our extra or our, uh, our maybe interactive our, our, our relational wholeness and health, the way we treat people, the yes. way we, we guard the integrity of our, of our friendships and so forth. So, so for him, there's this value placed on spirit, like, the, the assumption in Matthew 5 seems to be that, that when you come to worship God, the things that are going on in the secret places in your heart kind of find their way to the surface, and you become suddenly aware in the presence of God of things that aren't right in your life. Yes. And in the example of Matthew 5, it's relationships. Yeah. And he goes, hey, look, don't stay there and keep worshiping and ignore that broken relationship. Like, I'll be here waiting for your yeah. worship when you come uh, back. Let's yes. go get that thing right. Again... Spiritual disciplines are not a substitute yeah. for righteous living. I think that's the gist of, of, yeah. of what we're trying that's to do. That's the uh, melodic note. Melodic line, yes. <laughs> melodic line, I'm yeah. sorry, yes. Yeah. If you right. missed. <laughs> Second, sorry. God prescribes that we feed the hungry. Verse 7, first part of it, it says, 
is this fast not to share your bread with the hungry. Okay, so that's pretty straightforward. If you, are, if you, if you can stand here and abstain from food yourself, not buy the things you want from the grocery store this week, and kind of have that sacrifice vertically, but then you look at your neighbor, and you say, man, I, you know, I know my neighbor, maybe, maybe someone in our church, yeah, I, I know that they, they need a meal train, and I just don't feel like going out and getting the food to make it. And do, like, I just don't feel like doing that. Or, you know, man, there's somebody at church on Sunday who, man, it would be really nice to, I know that they're, they're struggling a little bit. Maybe, maybe we take them to lunch this Sunday. Mm-hmm. If, if your reaction in your heart is an immediate no to both of those things, you've missed it. Mm-hmm. You've missed it. And, of course, this applies to feeding the, the homeless and the hungry and, and all those things. And we, we all intuitively understand that. We need to do all more of that. But th- I think this is a means needs to be more than the all or nothing of, man, I either, you know, give to the, to the homeless, you know, shelter or I don't. It's like, no, there's, a, there's an applicational principle here of the heart saying, man, if you withhold wanting to sacrifice your time and money for food for other people, but yet you're cool with doing it for God here in fasting, you've missed it. You've yeah. missed the point here. Yeah, so depriving ourselves for a season ought to uh, heighten our awareness of the lack for people around us and provoke something of generosity in yes. us towards them. Yes. All right. Third, he, God prescribes that we, we bring the homeless into our house, that we put people up. He says in verse 7 at the end, and, and bring the homeless poor into your house. So, so again, of course, that could legitimately look like bringing a homeless person in your house. It could. The Lord, well, that should be on the table for all Isn't of us. Isn't it funny right? that we would normally go, well, he's probably not saying. Yeah, he probably is. That should be on the table for absolutely. <laughs> That's scary. You know? That costs us something to take that right. risk. But we should also not basically, again, all or nothing it and be like, oh, that just means if I see a homeless person or not. This, I mean, there's, there could be people who lose their jobs this year in our church who need somewhere to stay for a time. Mm-hmm. And if our heart right now in this fast is, hey, I'm going to abstain, and my home's going to be a little uncomfortable, I'm not going to watch TV, maybe, maybe we're going we're gonna to kind of, we're going to be uncomfortable in our own home for a little bit for this week, mm-hmm. not do the natural comforts we, we love. But then we see people who need a place to stay, mm-hmm. and we're like, oh, that'll just throw off my week, it'll throw off my month, it may throw off my year, you know, it'll be uncomfortable, there's not enough space, I want, mm-hmm. you know. If we have that sort of attitude outwardly, we've missed the point of depriving and making ourselves uncomfortable in the house yeah. uh, during fasting. So there's, I'm seeing a theme as you're talking through each of these that there's this propensity that God probably reads in our hearts to make excuses for why we're not going to do the things that he would prefer us to or that he would even command us to do. And we have this tendency to immediately, by default, we start making excuses to not. Yes. And yet... God is saying that a fast orients you towards the exploring of how to do more for people rather than explaining why you do less Yes, for people. Yes. And I think we tend to spiritualize what fasting should produce Yeah. when all of these productions here are physical things. Yeah. Right? So the next one, the next one, God, he, he prescribes us to put clothes on the naked. He says, when you see the naked, to cover him in verse 7. Mm-hmm. Again. If your heart turns toward people and say, yeah, I just don't want to spend my money on them. I just don't want... These are heart issues that God is drawing out through fasting in order to show us what a real fast, a sacrifice for the Lord looks like towards mm. other people. Okay, that, that one is kind of hitting on the same thing, but let's just go to the fifth one. Uh, he prescribes that we be uh, have sympathy for people, that we feel what others feel because we... We see ourselves in them. This is to not hide yourself from your own flesh. Yes. Verse yeah. 7, James has read it, and not 
Do not hide yourself from your own flesh. Yeah, what he's talking about there is like, don't dehumanize a, another person, thinking yeah. of them as less than you or as different than you in a way that would allow you to distance yourself from their suffering, their pain, but rather recognize their humanity in your own humanity. And like, when he's talking about your own flesh, he's like, your fellow person, yeah. your neighbor. Yeah, yeah. Even your own family. Right. Which Don't is, harden. Yes. Towards so a, a verse that I saw referenced to this as kind of a cross-reference is Hebrews 13.3 that says, Remember those who are in prison as those in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Mm. So I think in, in a church community, we need, to, we need to feel the suffering of our fellow uh, brothers and sisters. All right, sixth. Uh, God says that we should uh, not be crude or say uh, uh, kind of nasty words towards people, and we shouldn't show disdain for other people. So verse 9, it says, Take away the, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. Mm. So it's interesting in the, in the Hebrew, that, that idea of the pointing of the finger is, is less, what's getting across there is less of, hey, I'm pointing my index finger at you. It's more like giving you the finger. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's it's funny. more like I'm cussing you out, like screw you. Interesting. Um, that kind of idea. And uh, so it's because uh, I would read it on its face in English and think in terms of accusation. Yeah. Right. But you're saying it's read of more like um, dismissiveness and I'm d- like, uh, uh, like insulting. I can't, you know, my, you know, my boss sucks. That kind of like uh-huh. that kind of, and you know, and then he says right after speaking wickedness. Yeah. So it's, it's this nasty so talk a slanderous. About yes. Kind of. Yes. Yeah. Negative demeaning of people and behind I think their backs. This, even. this could be for, for some of us, the, one of the biggest ones on this list. <sighs> so, so, we, last night at, our, at prayer, I looked through this verse with, with, with everybody that was there, and this seems to be the one that a lot of people were talking about in terms of uh, think about, like I said earlier, when, earlier in the verse, he said, uh, earlier in the passage, he talks about uh, your, your fasting is producing quarrels. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, maybe what that looks like is you justify your irritableness and nastiness, maybe even in your own heart or even externally with your words towards people because mm-hmm. you're because of you're doing this fast and you seem you feel vindicated mm. uh, because you're kind of in a special place with that and i think this is this is a huge one in terms of uh, a lot of us are in work environments mm-hmm. we're at sc- we're, we're maybe we're a teacher and we're with other coworkers uh, maybe we're at a business environment where we have a boss or people under us maybe we're at college and we've got classmates and professors maybe we're in maybe we're in grade school you know that same and all of us, the, one of the most natural things, the air we breathe in our environments is to just talk trash about our coworkers yep. and talk trash about our boss yep. or, our, or our teacher, yep. right? Like that is just the air that people breathe. For sure. And I think God is We don't saying, even think about it. We don't even think about it. Doesn't it doesn't even yeah. register. It's, it's just the culture. It's what you sit down and you do. Yeah. And, and I think this I could is... Take, I could take you one further. How do we speak about politicians and government leaders? Uh, I think that's right. a huge one as well. I mean, like, we feel very justified. In, <laughs> oh yeah, in talking the, trash. I about mean, that. I'll tell you what I feel justified about the media. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, this this crosses <laughs> nobody's safe, <laughs> right? Like we do this to everybody. Yes, and I think God is pointing that out to us, saying, if you can, 
approach me with humbleness and reverence and abstain from, from being nasty towards me vertically, but yet you turn to other people and you talk trash about them and you bicker about them and you complain, then you are not abstaining. You are not fasting yeah. from the indulgence of speaking gossip and wickedness right. and pointing the finger. For sure. I think that's huge. I think a lot of us need that. I need that. We all need that. Okay, last one. He says uh, the Lord uh, basically tells us that we should not just give food, but we should give ourselves. In uh, verse 10, it says, If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted. So he kind of wraps that up, interestingly, with this idea of of yourself. Mm -hmm. And really... uh, if we were to look that more in depth, he's really talking about our souls. That's the words being used there, the soul. So it's really like a, you, if you're not putting your whole person into this. Yeah. It's a willingness to bleed for people. Yes. To I enter think into, it's a great way to put it. To enter into people's world in a, this is not, I think empathy is a popular word in our culture that gets pretty, you know, maybe overused even at this point. This is not empathy. This is, maybe something more of solidarity of like you're willing to enter into and to let like enter in at the level of not only am I taking on their pain with them, but I'm going to shoulder some of it so that they'll have less to bear and I'm going to bring something better for them. Right. I'm going to improve the situation for this person at expense to myself. Yes. So it seems to me in verse 10, after he's given you details in different areas of your life, he wraps it all up into one and says, if you're going to offer yourself to God vertically, and that doesn't result in you offering yourself to people horizontally, you've missed it. Mm-hmm. You've missed what fasting is. Yeah. Okay, so l- l- I kind of want to look at now the promises attached to these things. The, yeah. The, the blessings God gives. I know. I love uh, That these. are beautiful here. Yeah. All right, first one, and again, we're kind of weaving through the passage, pulling these out. Yeah, these aren't sequential, all um, of them. Uh, the first one would be the, the promise that... Uh, light will come into our darkness. So verse 8 and verse 10, Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. Then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. There's a promise that this sort of sacrificing horizontally will result in not only life come, light coming into your life, but light shining out of you in a supernatural way, mm-hmm. I think. I think. And... This makes me think a lot of how much anxiety and depression rule so much of our climate. Yeah, that's uh, good. And so often people, what do they do? What, like our strategies for dealing with that mostly are things like therapy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not anti-therapy, like to see a counselor or somebody trained professional who can help process through that. But if the lion's share of our focus when we're in depression is to become more introspective more clammed up, yeah. more privatized, more navel-gazing yes. at just concerning ourselves with ourselves, mm-hmm. that's actually the road towards greater despair, greater yes. depression, yes. greater anxiety. Yes. God is giving us a whole different strategy here. He's yeah. saying your own brokenness, your own, I mean, he uses this word gloom and darkness, right? Yeah. Like your own despair, hopelessness, um, internal sort of deadness, you want to tend to that, mm-hmm. orient yourself outwardly, and go make life better for somebody else, and your whole situation might just change. Yes. 
And he's saying this to us in the midst of people who are fasting and praying for a prolonged period of time. Yeah. So he's saying, you can be a person who's, who's fasting, who's seeking me, who's worshiping me on your own, who's having this vertical uh, longing for God. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, you're not going to find the full benefit of what it means to, to be in relationship with me. Right. Even in the midst of that devotion without a horizontal outworking. Yeah. You miss that. Yeah. So there's something that our souls need that are uh, we're wired for this. The image of God was created to right. be in community. That we need to pour ourselves out. Even look, your empties and look, there's a place for renewal. I think we might get Amen. there to the end, right? There's a place to like pull back and kind of recover from but but we think in terms of my personality, my introversion, let's say. Well, people just wear me out. And so what do we do? Well, I need to go recharge over here. And, and there's, yeah. again, there's a place for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But too often we orient ourselves around modern psychology towards I'm tired, so I need some me time. Yeah. And it might just be that me time is your biggest problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it might be that you need to pour out of yourself even when you're empty so that you allow the fullness yeah. of God to to backfill you. Yeah. Um, that's when he says he comes to our aid. That's when he says, I mean, the language in the other, the, the passage above is similar in terms of your light will break forth like the dawn. He says, your healing shall spring up speedily. Yes. Yes. We delay our own healing and, and wholeness and progress. Yeah. When we, when, when we isolate ourselves. Yes. Yes. I think that's, Perfect. All right. Second, I think God promises that he will give us physical strength. So James just connected uh, that part in verse 8 to, to, to God healing us. I, I think this uh, goes to physical strength as well. So he says, your healing shall spring uh, up speedily in verse 8. Verse 11, he says, he will make your bones strong. Oh, man. That's cool. So uh, what, what I see going on here is, is God saying, hey, if you, if you fast from just storing up your own strength, maybe getting some physical rest, mm-hmm. maybe having your me time, maybe conserving your energy, mm-hmm. if, you, if you forsake that for the, the purpose of serving other people, God will give you supernatural strength mm-hmm. to do that. God will give you a physical strength beyond your abilities to serve people well by holding back from just kind of being conservative with your with your time and your energy and even your own physical strength. Yeah. That's like again, God's not compartmentalizing our no. life. He's acknowledging the integrated nature of our personhood that our spiritual life is to feed and not be detached from our horizontal life. Mm-hmm. It's also not be, being detached from your life physiologically. No. That's amazing. Yeah. And I've seen this happen. Like, mm-hmm. I've experienced this. Now, yeah. I've been on the other side where I've done exactly what <laughs> he's rebuking them for. Yeah, yeah. But I've also been on that side where I have felt done and done. Yes. <laughs> and God, like, in, the, in my stepping into something, a responsibility that I had or yeah. a situation to try to pour my, yeah. like, God giving me the energy, the stamina, And maybe the not life. when you, you were even obligated to. Right. You know? I've, I've seen God be faithful in that. Yes. It, it, that's so big for us to hear. <laughs> is that God promised, I want more strength. I want more energy. I want more ability to, to do more for God. <laughs> so and God says, fast from, from, from 
conserving and kind of resting up in, in these ways and ways that kind of stop you from sacrificing to help mm-hmm. other people, and he'll give you that strength. My grandmother used to call this the, uh, the, the, the resurrection power. Mm-hmm. She used to call this this. She'd say, Caleb, if you, if you give yourself to the Lord and what he calls you to do, he will give you resurrection power to fulfill it. Yeah, because God wants your life to be fruitful more than even you want it to be fruitful. So if you see yourself, maybe you see yourself as a low-capacity person. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have physical limitations in terms of energy or health. Um, uh, uh, maybe you carry chronic things uh, yeah. with, with your body, ailments, you know, different kinds of, of limiting factors like that. I do think there's an invitation here of God to submit your limitations to him, to maybe for his sake, stretch yourself beyond your natural capacity. And there's this sense that I, I might just supernaturally increase your capacity that, that he could give. I've seen this. Like, I remember, I think it's okay to say this. He probably wouldn't mind. Uh, Paul Ulrich, Mm -hmm. when we started the church here, Paul saw himself as a low-capacity person for people. And I watched Paul responding to the Word of God and the Spirit of God working in his life to give more and more of himself away over the years. And I watched God God enlarge Paul's capacity for people, for ministry, Mm -hmm. um, for for conflict, for tense situations. And I saw God grow in that that man. Like a totally different... um, uh, sort of uh, capacity stamina for engaging meaningfully with people. Yeah. And that was a physical thing for him as well as emotional and spiritual. Yeah. So. Uh, Next, God says he'll be with us all around us and uh, we'll be in the midst of his righteousness and he'll hear our prayers. So this is kind of putting together parts of verse 8 and verse 9. He says, your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So God will be in front of you with righteousness and behind you with his glory. And not only that, but he will be there when you call. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer and shall cry. He will say, here I am. Yeah. So there's this, like, God, with this sort of what we talked about on Sunday, God present with you in a distinctive way, mm-hmm. right? In a more uh, powerfully felt, obvious way. There's th- that idea of rear guard. So he's our defender. Yeah. He's our protector and our provider, and he's mm-hmm. responding to us. Here I am when yes. we call, right? Yes. Because we're oriented properly. Yes. Um, yeah. And even in this passage, remember early in the passage, he said, I don't hear you. It's not getting. Yeah. It's, uh, your prayers are not getting here. But he lays out all of these things of obedience and fasting and gives you mm-hmm. all these benefits and says, through this obedience, I'll hear you. Mm-hmm. Here I am. Uh, this phrase, here I am, is so it, it's shocking when you think about it because... You don't hear God a lot of times say, here I am in scripture. It's usually God calling someone, you know, Eli or, or Isaiah or like, and people say, here I am, Lord, like responding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here God, God is the one saying, when you call on me, I'll be the one who responds and says, here I am. He kind of reverses his position yeah. in a way that's yeah. really, I mean, God that's says, cool. that's I, powerful. I'll, 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 I'll come to you mm-hmm. in a way that's beautiful through, these, uh, uh, through this righteous living. And there's also something in that that makes me think of like, I'm almost imagining like God's there. Like the way he says, here I am. It's almost like him jumping out to like scare you kind of thing. Like yeah, that. yeah. It's almost like he's there, but now you're going to know he's there. Yes. Right? Like yes. in the same, like, so again, like we were talking about Sunday, that God's present always in yes. one sense, mm-hmm. but 
this is where he's going, oh, I'm going to manifest my presence. Yes. You're going to know I'm here. Yes. Yes. All right. Next, God promises to guide us. He says, verse 11, and the Lord will guide you continually. So again, again, God is just, he's giving you that promise. If you wade into these areas of fasting, God will guide you. Mm. He'll be there. And the way that you want him to guide you in this vertical connection, you're seeking God for, in your fast personally about certain things in your life. And God's saying, through these horizontal ways, I'll make plain to you how to do them and where to go. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. Right. Yeah. Six, God will make you a watered garden. But he also said, so he'll make you a spring of water. So he says, uh, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. So that's verse 11. That's it's this reverse image. He says, you'll be a watered garden. So you'll be a garden who's kind of full of water. But yet you'll also be a spring of water yourself. So you, you, you become this passive watered garden, and you also become this dispenser of water mm-hmm. uh, yourself as a yeah, spring of water. My, my dad, I remember, not in relation to this passage, but in relation to... Uh, I think he talked about this a lot when it was related to generosity. That, um, um, but it, it, it goes with this that he used the image of um, rather than being a reservoir, we become a river, hmm. right? So God supplies us, but yeah. it's passing through us to others to yes. nourish others, right? Yes. Rather than just coming to us and then yeah, I think that's being the stagnant water there, there, right? Yeah. The other thing I love about this is Jesus in John seven. I've, you, you've heard me mention this verse so many times, but it's one of my favorites when. Um, when Jesus says, uh, whoever comes to me and drinks, out of him will flow rivers of living water. Yeah. And, and it's, John says that he was speaking of the Spirit, right? So yeah. that's Jesus in John 7 echoing what he's saying here in, John, yeah. or in Isaiah uh, yes. 58, that, yes. that we will become conduits for God's grace and the life of God to God's flow Spirit to us himself. and then through us to others. Yeah. Yeah. All right, last one. He says, if we give ourselves to the poor, God will restore the ruins of our cities and our people. He says in verse 12, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. So God's talking to his people and he says, you're, you're fasting vertically. You're calling out for me to, to do some work in your lives and your community and your, and the people of God. And I, and I'm saying if, if you through the Spirit, fast in these ways, if you commit yourselves to these ways, you'll actually see the restoration that you're longing for vertically. Mm. You actually, God will use you as a part of your prayer to be the repair of the breach you're longing for Him to, 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 to heal, if that makes sense. I mean, think about this imagery, Caleb, like He's going to build up ancient ruins. That means all the generational ash heap that's around us, the the, the, let's say, layers of decades and decades and yeah. decades of brokenness and dysfunction yeah. and chaos, whether at our family level or at our societal yeah. level, yeah. ancient ruins, right? Yeah. Long, entrenched strongholds of, of brokenness and devastation. Yeah. He's going, I'm going to repair yeah. that stuff. And, and or, even, or even in, even as a church, like, I mean, I would assume, obviously he's talking about all these community aspects, but I assume what people would hear in the backs of their minds is the, is the restoration of the glory of the temple. Yeah. And God's saying, and, and God's saying Jerusalem, yeah. hey, God wants to restore the glorious, the vibrant life of that place. Yes. The, and, and then the next piece, the raising up the foundations of many generations. So yeah. not only is it going to repair what's been lost and mm-hmm. restore that, it's actually going to set a firm foundation on which greater things can be built. Yes. 
Amen. And so it's a promise of um, retrieval or renewal from past brokenness and also a promise of, of, um, of permanence or at least durability going forward and the yeah. ability to, to, yeah. to see this health nourished for generations to come. So yes. it's past and future oriented yeah. as well as present. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so really we've just tried to let Isaiah speak the words of God to give you hopefully a broader vision of what fasting is. And through that vision, the broader blessings that can come through it. So I hope, I hope that you got the, this, this broader vision and, and if, see the promise of the blessings through it. Yeah, I hope this gives us a, it incentivizes me for day three and day four and forward. Yeah. It, it re-energizes me to go, hey, what we're doing here is good and right. Let me make sure I'm continuing to, to, to orient my heart rightly in this yes. way. And it makes me kind of more aware of going, how am I, how am I treating my family? How am I treating my brothers and sisters? How am I treating my neighbors in the midst of this? Is this raising my awareness or is this shrinking me to just myself? Yes. Um, and then I'll just make a quick reference. The last part of this that we didn't read initially, mm-hmm. verses 13 and 14, he yeah. says, he goes on, he says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight in the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you will honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay, mm. so two things. One, that last line, Yeah. this is Jesus talking to us from... <laughs> from a pre-incarnate kind of position, right? This is the mouth of the Lord is spoken. So these things are coming straight to us from the living God. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, but that whole focus on the Sabbath, it seems to me that Isaiah's, one of the things Isaiah's pointing to is going, hey, you want a practical first step? Yeah. Cherish and guard the Lord's day. Yeah. There's no, there's no pro tips right here. <laughs> you know, right? There, there's He's going, these special don't stay tricks. home and... Make a good meal and yeah. watch football yeah. and coast. Yeah. Gather with the people of God. Yeah. Worship me. Yeah. Um, come and, yeah. and seek my face. Praise me. Gather among my people. Be renewed in the presence of God among the, the people of God according to the of word of God. Right, yeah. And so he's going, recover this practice, that, that practice of the weekly rhythm. Um, I mean, that's, that's what I'm thinking of when I read about yeah. the Sabbath. He's talking about their... Their, mm-hmm. their approach to worship as a community, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that also gets me excited about what God wants to do and will do mm-hmm. through the regular rhythm of us gathering together, preaching of the word, taking of the elements, um, worshiping through song, prayers, connecting with each other in fellowship and so forth. Yeah. This really matters yeah. what we do on Sundays. Yeah. So I hope that blessed you. If you've got any feedback for us on any of this, Reach out. Text us, email us. You, if you're listening to this, you probably know our emails or text. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we want to hear from you. We want to hear stories about what God is doing in your life through this fast. Yeah. You know, we want we, we want to show light. We, we want a spotlight that. Like, That'd be we great. We would love to hear stories that, that we can tell to the congregation. Yeah, what is God ministering to you, changing in you, like revealing yeah. to you, those kind of yeah. things. So we hope this was helpful, and uh, we'll see you next week when we're probably all back to eating meat and mac and cheese. (laughs) Can't wait. All right. See you guys.